As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good? But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, you know, the other day I was feeling uh, feeling kind of uh, like a bundle of nerves. And so, yeah, uh, yeah after work, I decided to, to go uh, to the local uh, YMCA and mm-hmm. uh, had an exorcism done. Oh, yeah, I've yeah. heard about this class. Yeah, yeah. You just go in. There's a priest. They just uh, reach right in, pull the, the demon out of you that's uh-huh. uh, causing you your angst. Mm-hmm. And then... Wham! The rest of the the evening, you're just you know carefree, laid back. Doesn't it end in laughter yoga? Uh, well, laughter yoga is next door, but okay. it's the why, so you can hear you know. And it's kind of hard sometimes on. to figure out which class is which. Yeah, is it exorcism? Is it the laughter yoga? Is it the children's karate class? I don't know. It all kind of melts together. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the why for you. Yeah, uh, but I joked. Exorcism. A lot of people are yeah. getting it. It's not quite to the point yet where you can go and take it at the why, but. There are a lot of folks getting uh, the devil yanked out of them by various uh, holy people. It's true. In a 2005 Gallup poll, they found that 42% of Americans believe that, quote, people on this earth are sometimes possessed by the devil, unquote. And they didn't necessarily go and put this in their um, straight up findings as they normally do because Mm -hmm. they couldn't quite construe what that meant. The Gallup poll was like, Hmm. Do they mean metaphorically possessed by the devil? Do they truly think this? And yet there that figure stands. Yeah. I mean, because you can say like, well, hey, that that guitarist, he is a man possessed up there on the stage. But it doesn't mean you actually think that the Lord of Hell has inhabited his body to enable uh, more creative guitar playing. You know, I like to say Beelzebub. 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 Yes. Uh, That's my own personal thing when I'm when I'm exercising myself. 
out via the bulb. Ah, okay. Just it, with that accent. How do you exercise yourself? Do you like do you have like a pre-recorded video? A mirror. Oh, a mirror. Mm-hmm. But then you can't exercise yourself if you're possessed, right? That's the devil exercising itself. Uh, oh, I don't know, Robert. It seems to me like there are all sorts of rules here with this whole exorcism thing, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, but I think this piqued our interest because it actually has been on the rise, exorcisms. Yeah. And, you know, we're at heart a science podcast. So obviously we're not going to be we're not asking the question, are these people really being possessed by demonic creatures from uh, other planes of existence? I'm just going to go ahead and say, no, that's not actually happening. Yeah. But but that doesn't mean that what's happening isn't real in in some senses and isn't really fascinating to try and figure out. Yeah. Why yeah. someone would think they were possessed or another person would tag that person as being possessed. Yeah. In the same way that we've we've talked about alien abduction encounters. And and, you know, we're we're pretty sure on the fact that and we definitely approach the topic from the standpoint of no they're not being abducted by extraterrestrials and probed upon but uh but <laughs> what is going on is uh, is interesting in terms of uh, of their of what's going on in their brain how they're interpreting it how they're weaving it into their worldview and yeah. uh, there's some similar stuff to discuss with exorcism yeah and so we'll be talking about that we'll be talking about why it's uh, on the rise uh, we'll talk about what mother teresa has to do with it mm-hmm. and why that can actually be really really dangerous yeah and there's a as far as exorcism goes, mm-hmm. again, ancient rites of exorcism uh, exist in various cultures throughout the world. It basically comes down to ideas that there is an evil foreign force, right. a spirit, a demon. Um, there, you know, various versions of this have inhabited somebody's body, and it needs to be removed, either sucked out or banished, uh, dependent by somebody who is holy. Now. Most people are pretty familiar with the, with, of course, the movie The Exorcist or some of these more recent exorcism movies that have made the rounds. Uh, and that's a very, you know, iconic vision of the, the Catholic priest, mm-hmm. you know, climbing up the stairs, uh, going in and encountering a possessed, uh, child mm-hmm. and, uh, and having all these, uh, the, vomit and urine, yeah, vomit and it, urine. which I call motherhood <laughs> on a day to day basis. That's, that's just, right. Yeah. Just, that's just what I call it. Yeah, but, these male priests are freaking out. Yeah. And you guys are just like, that's yeah. called a Tuesday. Right, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that is the, the thing that I think most people refer to. And it is a terrifying movie. Yeah, but you know, not to get on a whole discussion of horror movies thing, but I actually think the most disturbing uh, things in that movie are not the, um, oh my goodness, look what that child is saying or doing. Mm-hmm. I think there's some early, like the early moments where like the the child is referring to an imaginary friend or is making this little um I forget if it's like a little clay statue and it resembles the uh vaguely resembles this uh this ancient uh, demon statue referenced earlier in the film. Like I think it's a great film but I think the the moments that work best are not those iconic crazy moments. No, no. Yeah. Well, and it is a good build up in the way it's filmed is really interesting. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But this is not a discussion yeah, of exorcism. Sorry. No, no. I mean, but it we have to talk about it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's huge in, in in our parlance uh, when we talk about these mm-hmm. types of things. But then there there are various other cultures. Um, we'll take uh, uh, take uh, um, Judaism, for instance. Um, in two thousand nine, uh, just to, just to give you just a t- taste of another world of exorcism. Uh, in two thousand nine, uh, uh, famed Israeli master of the Kabbalah, Rabbi uh, David ba- Batzri, uh, attempted to remove a dibuk. 
uh, it's like D-Y-B-B-U-K, which, yeah, is like a, which is another, you know, idea. Like I say, demons, mm-hmm. evil spirit, uh, et cetera. Uh, he attempted to, to remove it, uh, from a Brazilian man, uh, via the internet, like via, <laughs> via Skype. Uh, which I, which I really love because, because we were talking about this, uh, yesterday when we were prepping for this and, uh, and I was like, well, you know, people do, um, uh, like hypnotherapy through Skype. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if people can do, um, or at least, you know, attempt to do exorcism through Skype. It seems possible. And sure enough, this and man bang. is on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you have, um, uh, this, the, that's the story that also mentioned the two fishmongers in, uh, uh, a a really orthodox uh, orthodox suburb of New York that found a carp mm-hmm. that was talking about the end of the world and it was saying in Hebrew. Yeah, and and they what was there's some quote that said two men do not share the same dream and so they both claim to have heard the carp speaking uh, in another language saying the end is near. Mm-hmm. So that's what caused the fur because everybody's like, well, uh, if two people witness this, then it must be true. Yeah, one man seeing a carp talking, that's just, you know, but two. Crazy, right? but two, yeah. Um, but, but then you have various other cultures that are, that are far removed from this. Uh, for instance, in Bedouin tribes, mm-hmm. there's this tradition of like, they're, they're really big into the whole idea of the evil eye. Like, like somebody gives you that weird stare, like a stranger, you know, we just call it. I just it, did it. No, no. Well, that's more like, yeah, cause you have an evil stare. Um, <laughs> but, but that wasn't wow. it. But but no, you get this evil stare, the evil eye, and yes. suddenly it's like you know. And for us, it just might kind of mess up your morning. Like, whoa, why was the dude on Marta staring at me like that? Yeah. But uh, but in in some in Bedouin uh, tradition, that mm-hmm. means like you kind of got this curse, you got this evil eye in you, and you got to have it removed. And then a female healer would actually take it out of you and bring it into her. But she's uh, got enough like holy protections going on that she can handle it. Yeah, she's probably got some other ritual. She yeah. gets to purge that. Yeah. So and they're very yeah all these different purging rituals. Um, you know, they're involving everything from like salt water to uh, into rolling people up in rugs and kind of beating them with sticks, kind of a thing. Um, just about any way you could possibly imagine trying to coax a demon out of somebody, it's been tried. That latter one is the one that I said sounded like Borat. Yeah, <laughs> it, right? does. it does kind of sound like yeah, that. but you do you find it in all different cultures, religions, um, Islam, Hinduism, um, but we mostly think of it in the Roman Catholic Church, and they define um, a sort of possession uh, to look like something like this, where you're speaking in a language that the person has never learned. Uh, there's an extraordinary show of strength, a sudden aversion to spiritual things like holy water or the name of God, mm-hmm. and severe sleeplessness, lack of appetite, and cutting, scratching, and biting the skin. Ah. Okay. Okay. So those are sort of the hallmarks that, that Roman Catholicism looks for in terms of possession. Um, and of course, it's worth noting that none of those things are, are supernatural. You know, it's like anybody yeah. could, anybody could, could, uh, could have those symptoms. If they just really wanted to to do them, or if they were suffering. From well, and then conditions. also, then we'll talk about this a little bit later. There's also the interpretation, right? So you, how are you looking at the situation? What are you interpreting it as? If someone is speaking in gobbledygook, is that suddenly a language? Right. Um. So there's that. Uh. And then there's the the, the question of what does an exorcism look like according to the Roman Catholic Church? And for them, it's a 24 page ritual based on prayers in which the priest invokes the name of Jesus, uses holy water and the cross, and can alter the prayer depending on the reaction that he gets from a possessed person. Uh, so it's kind of, a, it's a manual of sorts, but it's also one of those things like, okay, hey, if they're not doing this, go to 
go to three A and try this one. Did um, this work? No. If yes, yeah. If no. <laughs> Skip yeah. this and go forward. Um, so, uh, and a person who claims to be possessed must be evaluated by doctors to rule out a mental or physical illness, according to Vatican guidelines issued in 1999. And Pope Benedict the Sixteenth has supported wider use of exorcism in the Catholic Church uh, as of late, like I believe the last five years or so, mm-hmm. and this sort of wholesale return of Roman Catholicism, Catholicism back to its roots, uh, so to speak. Okay. So there you go. That's, that's what we're going to focus on today is this sort of Roman Catholicism, um, but also why people are submitting themselves to this practice. Yeah, that's the, the thing. Um, I mean, really, the more you look at it, you look at this this ritual, this encounter between the per- a person who either believes they have a demon in them or mm-hmm. is told they have a demon in them. And in doing so, I think in many cases, come to believe they have a demon in them mm-hmm. and the person sent to cleanse them of it. The, and generally, we're talking about an authority figure of some kind, at least in a spiritual sense. Yeah, and this is sort of a social role-playing, right? right. You know, we talked about this a little bit, and you had a, a, a very interesting take on this, which is, particularly in, in earlier years, although it still happens now, if you are ashamed of something about yourself, right, right and you can't quite square it with the reality that you're living in, um, then you might look at this part of yourself, this part of your personality, and think that it is part of this demonic possession because it's an easy way to sort of just sweep it away without having to actually deal with this part of your personality. Right. And this is what uh, behavioral psychologists refer to as cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Uh, which uh, is a term originating in the 1950s, and it basically refers to the feeling of discomfort that results from holding two conflicting beliefs. Um and I think like the, the most easily um, discussed uh, example of this is uh, in, in some uh, societies, you'll have somebody who has homosexual desires, mm-hmm. but they live in a culture or a subculture that that tells them that this is not something that you that, that this is something you choose. You right. cannot naturally feel this way. So you, you're in a situation where you feel something and you, you feel something real inside you, mm-hmm. but the world around you is telling you that it cannot be. It cannot be a natural part of you. Yeah. You know? So it's not a natural yeah. part of you. You need some sort of story to explain it, some sort of some sort of way to uh, to deal with that cognitive dissonance. Yeah. And typically your brain is going to deal with it in one of three ways. Uh, one, you may try to change one or more of your behaviors or beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, two, you may try to acquire new information or beliefs to in- increase the consonants, mm-hmm. uh, which will lessen the overall dissonance. Right. So whatever part of the, the part that's making you uncomfortable, it could perhaps less than that. Again, this is a good example of, well, the, the, the devil made me do it, right? Yeah. Um, three, you could forget or downplay the importance of the cognition that's butting up against the contradictory cognition. Mm-hmm. So we're, when we're talking about this, uh, exorcism really sort of falls into that second category where you sort of, okay, if it's not, if I can't explain this, this sexual preference that I have, which re- is really butting up against this um, religion that I subscribe to, then it must be this outside force acting yes, on yeah. me, which is sort of interesting. You know? Yeah, and it, I guess it's the kind of thing kind of takes. Uh, I mean, just yeah, the the idea of the devil. Uh, it it kind of goes goes back to that whole idea of the like the devil getting made me do it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so suddenly there's something that's not really cool with you. Like maybe it's you know it could be anything. It could be uh, you know your your preference to to go out and have a drink every now and then, mm-hmm. or or you know the 
fact that you're kind of a jerk sometimes or, you know, you can just explain it away uh, and blame it on some ex- external force that's uh, not you. And you're yeah. like, well, hey, you know, I and then, it, you know, it takes the heat off of you. It's like, oh, I can't really help it. The, the devil actually made me do that. So. Right. And then you've got the whole social role playing. Right. And right. Um, as you've already noted, The Exorcist was a completely iconic movie. You already have sort of a, a game plan here for how right. you're going to be possessed. Um, and through folklore, you know, to movies, there's been some sort of um, guidelines, so to speak, to how you're supposed to act. Right. It's kind of like if the first time you're pulled over by a police officer, you know how it's going to go because you've seen it uh, happen in uh, on TV shows and movies. I Registration mean, and license. Right. Exactly. Um, or um, job interviews. Like that's another like classic. Like you go in, you meet somebody and you go through all these various exchanges. It's kind of like an exorcism. Right. And that, right. And that it's, uh, you know, you encountering this figure, certain business is going to take place and everyone pretty much knows how it goes. You're both playing a role. Right. And so then you've got this social contract that you've entered into, right? Because you're, right. you're trying to lessen the dissonance and you say, okay, this must be this outside force. All right. Now I'm going to enter into this sort of confirmation bias world. And when I say confirmation bias, it basically means that you're going to start to see patterns where there may not be any patterns. Um, this is from physicist Leonard Meledno's Drunkard's Walk books. Quite interesting when he talks about confirmation bias. He says, when we are in the grasp of an illusion, or for that matter, whenever we have a new idea, instead of searching for ways to prove our, our ideas wrong, we usually attempt to prove them correct. Psychologists call this the confirmation bias, and it presents a major impediment to our ability to break free from the misinter- misinterpretation of randomness. So I bring this up just because if uh, if someone, again, has this part of their their self that they might be ashamed of or they have a mental illness or um, they just might have something going on with themselves that they can't quite understand or pin down, then mm-hmm. they could start to say, well, I have this feeling in myself and, uh, you know, and I'm acting out in rage at times and there are irregularities in my personality. This is starting to fit into possession, right? Right. So it's very easy for the person to go down that road, and it's very easy for the person who is acting on that person as an exorcist mm-hmm. to to start to cobble together those details, too. And this is, I think, really important, too, in understanding the past and how exorcisms came to be, because think about prior to um, – to neuroscience, to gosh, even like the 1970s, if someone had, say, a, a toddler, if they had night terrors, a parent could say, oh, my God, my kid must be possessed because my kid is acting like she doesn't know me. She's spitting. She's biting. She's vomiting. You know, I don't know that vomiting actually happens with night terrors, but she's really upset. Right. And people could easily misinterpret that for her being possessed. Um, and sheesh. 1759, Night Terror, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to continue to discuss exorcism, but first let's take this quick break. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. And we're back. It's, it's worth it's worth stressing again, though, the, the power of the role-playing uh, yeah. aspect of all of this, because, I mean, that encounter, like, it's such a... I mean, it's it's such an ego stroke, you know, mm-hmm. that a, a devil or the devil has inhabited me mm-hmm. and is responsible for my problems. And now I'm going to go to somebody important and they're going to remove it from me and I'm going to start fresh. Um, 
And we're all going to congratulate ourselves, right? Yeah, and we're right? going to congratulate ourselves. Because the person who's doing it to you has all the power and then saying, ah, oh, look what I did. And yeah. you're saying, oh, thank you for vanquishing. Yeah, I actually, I wasn't present for an exorcism, but I did like walk in on an exorcism once, sort of like acknowledged it and then was like, oh, okay. And then I walked in back into the next room. I, I should probably back up and explain. Yeah, yeah, you should. We need to talk about this. Yeah. Uh, so when I was in high school, I had a brief uh, period of light where I was like really, really into um, into the church I was going to mm-hmm. at the time, which was a small Southern Baptist church in uh, in Tennessee. And uh, well, I mean, it was a fair sized church for a small town, but anyway, Southern Baptist church, and they would have this thing uh, for the youth on uh, on weekend uh, evenings, like I, I, maybe it was like every Friday for a while or something. But they would have a coffee shop, you know, kind of like the old nineteen fifties Christian coffee shop, you know, and they'd have live acoustic music, and kids would have. Uh, cappuccinos and stuff. And, you know, and that's all well and good. That, yeah. You know, I, I would, you know, I might go to something like that today. But, uh, but also we were uh, like a lot of, of teenagers that were really into this, uh, this spirituality at the mm-hmm. time and, and into what it, into what it might mean. And, uh, and, you know, teenagers think they're pretty important and they, they see the world, they, they want to fight the man or, or stand up and make a difference in the world. And so what better way? Than like dealing with the devil head on, which also plays into the whole angst, right? That, yeah, that teenagers experience. Not to mention navel gazing. Like, why am I here? Right? Yeah, exactly. It like it, it plays into into all of that. So, so I remember like exploring some. Like, I remember going to a church. We uh, uh, with a friend of mine. We went down to to check out this church in uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, mm-hmm. and it was one of these where they would touch people, and uh, they would fall down, not healed, but laughing hysterically. Like everyone who was touched would fall down just laughing hysterically. Yeah. And, and it was really something to behold because it was, uh, you know, it, it was like this was the environment everyone was acting in. This was the, the social contract of this scenario where okay, this yeah. man would, would touch you and heal you and like in a, in a hysterical sense and you would, you would fall down and uh, they'd come and cover you with a blanket and all. So if, if that is possible, then, uh, where you can, where you can enter a social contract where, uh, a man's touch Will bring out this, you know, this total positive uh, response in you. Then it, it makes perfect sense that that the, uh, the that that you would have an ex that the exorcism uh, role playing scenario would work as well. But but anyway, so one night I was at the coffee shop, mm-hmm. and and uh, my my friend there uh, came up and he said uh, he said, hey, uh, you should come uh, check out in the back room. We have uh, we have this this guy and he has the devil in him. We're going to exercise him. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, all right, you know, I'll check the, I'll, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm interested in seeing this. So I walked back there and sure enough, there's this guy, this other kid, you know, I don't know if he's like, you know, 13, 14, something like that. And, uh, and he's just sitting there kind of look, looking kind of dejected, you know, like he's got some, some heavy stuff on mm-hmm. his mind. You know, he's not, you know, strapped to a bed. He's not, uh, cursing and spitting or anything crazy. You know, he just looks yeah. like he's got some stuff he's dealing with. And, uh, and so uh, I was kind of like, oh, okay, cool. I'll leave this to you guys. Um, <laughs> so you took off. You're like, I am not staying around for the. Well, yeah, exorcism. I don't know. I guess I felt like I probably didn't have much to offer. My exorcism skills uh, weren't very good then, and they haven't improved over the years. So, um, so I was not going to be much help. So I just left them to carry it out. But it was, you know, it was kind of like I can easily imagine like a dude feeling like a teenager feeling kind of depressed, like mm-hmm. a lot of teenagers do, and uh, and you're in an environment where like, hey. This might be the problem and we can fix it 
you know, why not? Why not engage in that situation? Well, and that's what I think is interesting about that scenario, because it seems like a safe sort of scenario right. for a release. Right. Because yeah. that's what we're really, really talking about, whether or not you're being touched by someone and, and made to laugh hysterically or if if the devil is being banished from you. It's sort of a metaphorical thing in these cases. Right. Yeah, And neither one is really that far from like just the the old fashioned come to Jesus, you know, thing like walk forward and be saved kind of a deal where you're calling on people like, mm-hmm. hey, come try this out. It'll change your life. And then ultimately it's kind of like, well, why not? All I have to do is walk down there. And if it doesn't work, I'm out, you know. Right, right. In <laughs> this, this in this sense, it's really, it's very safe. It's a, I think yeah. I've heard it referred to as like a proto-psychotherapy session. Huh. You know, it's, it's, it's a bit of psychotherapy. You can get it out of your system, so to speak. Um, and I think again, with, with kids, it's really interesting because you do sort of, you are dwelling in that, that area of your imagination at that time and trying to work out a lot of the world's mysteries. At least I did. And, you know, I mentioned to you that Dark Forces was a book series that my brother and I just consumed when I was very little and very little, eight or 10 or something. Um, and was completely obsessed with, with the occult and, and all these different things. So I think it's a, I think it's an interesting way to go about it. I think where it gets dangerous and problematic is when, uh, an exorcism is foisted upon people who don't really have a voice for themselves. And that can be kids and teenagers and and certainly mentally ill folks. Um, Yeah, and there have been deaths. I mean, there have been, uh, like I was, I think I mentioned earlier how salt water is sometimes used. There have been people who've died from salt water poisoning due to exorcisms. Uh, People have, uh, I mean, it's, you can do a Google news search and Mm -hmm. you'll you'll find uh, some rather harrowing results. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's a laundry list of of different ways that um, people have died and, and, Unfortunately, a lot of kids, too, at the hands usually of, of their parents. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the Catholic Church will tell you, okay, well, we screen. Yeah. Um, but, again, it's up for interpretation. And in the earlier days, like in the 70s, I think they were looking for people who had epilepsy and saying, oh, well, they must be epileptic. They Don't worry. They're, you're not possessed. But there wasn't really a good understanding of mental illness or even something like Tourette. Right. Um, so, you know, if you if you had Tourette syndrome in 1950, you you know, that you might be in an atmosphere where that cultural script said that you were possessed. Uh, but, I mean, recently there have been deaths. Um, I think one of the most famous ones is Annalise Michelle. This is a 22-year-old uh, German woman who died from starvation and dehydration and underwent 67 exorcisms over a year and a half period. Uh, wow. Yeah, b- by the church. Um I should add. And then there were uh, Pentecostal ministers in San Francisco who pummeled a woman to death in 1995 as they tried to drive out her demons. Uh, in 1998, a 17-year-old girl was suffocated by her mom with a plastic bag in an effort to destroy the demon inside her. And most recently, a two-year-old died um, in Fort Wayne, Indiana this year from an exorcism, exorcism performed by his mother. And I won't go into the details because it's terribly depressing. Um, oh, it's already terribly depressing. I know. It's like, this I know. isn't fun anymore. I know. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Sorry. But, and, you know, I think it's important just to throw that out. Yes, yeah, that it um, it, there has been an uptick in exorcism. So it's that's why you, I think you have to look at it um, as a whole and say, okay, here's the metaphorical part. Not not a problem. You know, kids working things out. Um, 
people working things out for themselves on a metaphorical level. Here's the physical level where it can go way too far. And this cognitive dissonance really becomes a problem if you submit yourself to that level. Right. Uh, where you say, OK, I submit my mind and my body to this act. Um, and actually, the uptick in exorcism is happening here in the United States and Poland and Mexico as well. Mm-hmm. And in a November 2010 article in the New York Times called For Catholics, Interest in Exorcism is Revived, uh, says pr- priests say they're overwhelmed with requests for exorcisms in the U.S. Conferences uh, have been held to prepare more priests and bishops for exorcisms. Um, at a recent uh, conference, they had 66 priests and 56 bishops turn out, and the goal was for each diocese to have someone who could at least screen requests. So... The Catholic Church will say, though, that the purpose is not necessarily to revive the practice, but to help uh, Catholic clergy members learn how to distinguish who really needs an exorcism from who really needs a psychiatrist or pastoral care. Hmm. Okay. Which I still think, okay, well, well, that's interesting. And yet (laughs) it does seem like a practice that is uh, should have maybe gone away in the age of uh, horse and buggies. And uh, uh, and then there's the whole point that – Pope Benedict XVI has been returning to more sort of classical, um, uh, I guess, ways of looking at the church and um, and caring for its church members. Yeah, I guess I would I would hope that most pe- people that would come in seeking an exorcism would be would be advised to uh, pursue various other treatments. It just seems uh, I, I just I do hate to think of somebody with any kind of legitimate problem being. Uh, uh, referred to the exorcist. Yeah, yeah. In this this article, it said um, this a man by Dr. Appleby, a longtime observer of the bishop, said what they're trying to do in restoring exorcisms is to strengthen and enhance what seems to be lost in the church, which is the sense that the church is not like any other institution. It's supernatural, and the key players in that are are the hierarchy and the priests who can be given the faculties of exorcism. So, okay. you know, the cynic of me says that it's just it's a it's a bit of a power uh, thing. Yeah, I don't know. I can't get too into whole into the I mean, I, I'm as I've discussed in the past, I'm all open for like the, you know, the positive aspects of various religions, uh, you know, take take what you want and run with them. But I don't know when you start throwing devils into the whole mix, uh, it gets a little problematic, in my opinion. It does. It does. And like I said, for the metaphorical part, I'm all for that. The sort of like proto psychotherapy of, mm-hmm. hey, let's let's work this out. <laughs> this problem yeah. out. Uh, but yeah, when it reaches the physical realm, it's a bit problematic. Um, Mother Teresa, did you know oh. that she had an exorcism performed on her? This was late in life, right? Yeah, yeah. She underwent an exorcism in 1997 after a bout of insomnia, was blamed on the devil. So says the Archbishop of Calcutta, Henry Sebastian de Souza, who um, happened to be in the hospital with her at the same time. And uh, she had been admitted for heart problems um, before her death in September 1997. And so when doctors couldn't find a medical reason for her sleeplessness, he thought that she was being attacked by the devil. And he wanted her to calm down. And so he went to her and said, would you like to have an exorcism performed on you? And she said, "Okay, Hmm. sure. Well, I guess there are two ways of looking at this. Either this is outrageous because Mother Teresa was a great woman. Did all this work? Beacon of light. Beacon of light. You know, super holy. Why would she have to deal with this? Especially like right. life. You know, right? Why would the devil dog her now? Yeah, uh, but then also you could look at it. Well, she's super. Uh, you know, 
um, hooked into all into the spiritual world. You know, she's like a so she's kind of like a computer running without firewalls or virus protection. And so if she gets <laughs> one bad email in, it could it could mess up the whole system. So yeah, yeah, and he claims that it, uh, she. She was fine afterward, and um, they uh, all they did was a prayer of protection. So it wasn't like they were. I, I imagine I was not there. I, I haven't read any um, accounts, but I would like to think that they were just sort of saying the prayer and not, um, not like for four hours screaming in her yeah, face. Yeah, maybe maybe she got an abbreviated version. Yeah. yeah, yeah. By the way, if someone was standing over you for four hours screaming prayers in your face, do you think you'd get so upset that you would vomit? Maybe. Uh, I mean, I'm just saying, like, this is one of the hallmarks, too, right? I mean, I get kind of antsy if I have to sit still for, you know, um, over a half hour. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I imagine it would be pretty rough. Yeah. Just, I'm just thinking about it because it especially is. Especially if the exorcist wouldn't let me, like, check my uh, my iPhone. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, then you know, catch up on vomiting all over the yeah, place. Then I would be like, ah, oh, this is the worst. Maybe I am possessed by the devil. <laughs> I'm just thinking that, you know, I mean, it's certainly something that could get a person riled up and start uh Behaving unusually if, if they didn't already have some sort of pre-existing condition that would exacerbate that. But anyway, did you know also that the Pope has a chief exorcist? Oh, I bet he does. Yes, of course he does. Um, and his name is Father Gabriel Amorth and he has carried out more than 70,000 exorcisms in a career spanning 24 years. Wow. Do you think there's ever like a big Vatican, like Christmas party? Anything? <laughs> like, cause I'm just thinking like, uh, um, our friend Guy, uh, Consul Mania. Consul Mania, yeah. the, uh, the, the Vatican uh, uh, astronomer and, mm-hmm. and protector of the, does he, is the guy who protects the meteorite co- collection? Or maybe that may be another dude. I don't know. But all right, so so imagine the Christmas party where, uh, where a guy walks up and then he runs into the uh, the exorcist. Like, hey, I am guy. I I I'm uh, in charge of uh, keeping an eye on uh, on the cosmos for uh, for for the Vatican and yeah. You know, and uh, these are my science credentials. What do you do? Well, I cast the devil out of people. You know, Wait, those guys. Yeah, are not going to sit probably next to each other at the Christmas <laughs> dinner. Like I can tell you that they probably whoever was planning the event was like, do not put these two together. Yeah, because, because this they stand dude, at opposite ends of yeah. where the, uh, the the Catholic Church is in in modern times. Yeah, because they're like, oh, Father Amorth is going to start saying th- this thing again. This this is actually a quote from. We have cardinals who don't believe in Christ, bishops connected with demons. Then we have these stories of pedophilia. You can see the rot when we speak of Satan's smoke in the holy rooms of the Vatican. So he, he feels like, I mean, to him, like the Satan's around and this is the reason for all the horrible things that have happened to people and into uh, the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, well, it certainly takes the heat off of people. Yeah, yeah but definitely do not put Consul Mania yeah. and this dude together. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, with that, let's uh, let's exercise some uh, listener mail mailbag here. It's getting a little backed up. It's getting a little frothy. Yeah. Uh, we have one here from a listener by the name of Alicia. And Alicia writes in and says, I used to work in my college bookstore. One day we received some boxes with a funny word on them. I didn't know what the word meant until I opened a box and saw what was inside, a blood pressure cuff. The word was, and I'm going to take a shot at this, Svigamamonometer. All right, Svigamamonometer. Yeah, Uh, just the sight of the word sent me into utter hysterics, and I was uh, useless for a good half hour. Then I said it out loud, which got got the giggle started all over again. To this day, it remains the funniest word I've ever seen or said, and it can still make me giggle. Um, 
keep up the great work with the podcast, and please check out my band, The Wag, at thewagband.com. Some of your uh, HSW mates have our CDs. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> um, and then we have... Uh, and I did check out that link to make sure it didn't like actually go somewhere horrible. It does go to an actual band's website. All so, right. Yeah. Good, good. Good I'm detective not just, work. I'm not just going to throw links out here. Um, we also uh, heard from a listener by the name of Samuel. Um, and uh, which uh, Samuel, if I'm just to get into the whole devil thing again, mm-hmm. I believe Samuel means venom of God and was like an old demon name in the, the old days. This is venom and not poison. Yeah, poison of God, venom of God. I don't know. Anyway, that's like again in high school. I was really into all that stuff. So, uh, but I don't have all the knowledge with me anymore. Anyway, Samuel, the human, not a demon, um, uh, wrote in, had some very nice things uh, to say, and then uh, added at the end, I just listened to the podcast uh, "Religion in Space" and Robert saying something along the lines of him loving the idea of religion being carried into space in Dune really made me laugh, as I thought it would be the worst nightmare of uh, Dawkins or someone like him. Also, I imagine that a religion developed for existence in space uh, could be like Julie joked and revolve around checking valves and taking data the same way old religions like Christianity and Islam condemn eating shellfish and uh, and shellfish, uh, which is a primitive lifestyle, can easily cause a disease if managed wrongly. Um, so anyway, that's interesting. Indeed, yeah, there uh, there are a number of people who would who would uh, get in quite a tizzy at the thought of uh, of us taking religion into space, as we as we discussed. Indeed, yeah, I thought the Dawkins part was interesting as well. Um, yeah, he he certainly probably would flip. Yeah, yeah. Um, so hey, uh, we would love to hear from you guys uh, from, uh, about your thoughts about previous podcasts, but also about this whole exorcism thing. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Do you, like me, have any strange encounters with exorcism or um, or just kind of perplexing religious uh, experience in the past? Uh, let us know. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, and uh, and you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. We are blow the mind on both of those, and we regularly update that with all sorts of cool links, updates about what our latest podcasts are and what we're planning to do in the future. And we take requests. I believe... Uh, I believe this one was, uh, like you said, yeah, it was, this uh, was a request, requested yeah. by a few different people before we decided. We wanted to, to say, why the it. heck are there so many exorcisms? Yeah, what's up with these exorcisms? What's going on? Where can I get one? You can also email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join Howstuffworks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.